Welcome to the Jazz Shapers podcast from Mishkondorea. What you're about to hear was originally broadcast on Jazz FM. However, the music has been cut due to rights issues. This is Jazz Shapers with Elliot Moss on Jazz FM. In partnership with Mishkondorea. It's business, but it's personal. Welcome to Jazz Shapers with me, Elliot Moss, bringing the shapers of the business world together with the musician shaping jazz, soul and blues. My guest today is Dhruv Patel, optometrist and founder of OcuShield, the medically rated screen protectors that filter out harmful blue light. On a work placement during his optometry degree, Dhruv heard about a lens coating for glasses that could reduce eye strain caused by blue light. Intrigued, he began researching the mass market problem, as he says, of how digital screens affect our eyes, our skin and our sleep cycles. When his idea for a screen protector won a university competition, Drew was able to develop his first prototype, securing over a thousand pre-orders and confirming for him the real-world need. OcuShield was launched in 2015 from the bedroom of his parents' Croydon home, and despite a successful Dragon's Den pitch prompting a £75,000 offer for 15% of the company, Drew chose to walk away from the deal, and we'll find out shortly why. OcuShield now distributes its glasses, screen protectors and desk lamps globally, and last year they raised £910,000 to grow their product line and improve eye health worldwide. It's lovely to have you here. Tell me, Drew, this idea that you had way back, was it one of those, I'm going to do this and it's just going to happen, or was it a, that's interesting and I'll have a look into it? You know, how serious were you at the time, if you can remember? Yeah, I mean, I, I remember it vividly. I think for me, it was, it was keeping me up at night. I was like, right, this is a real-world problem. The research I've done shows the artificial blue light from screens is affecting our eyes and sleep. Two massive problems. And selfishly, I wanted a solution for myself because I didn't wear glasses, so I couldn't adopt the technology at the time for myself. So I said, actually, why don't I create something that I can use? And hopefully other people want to do the same. You know, I was very much so forget the market research, forget the business plan. Let's create a product. And if it works, then we'll figure the rest out. And being an optometrist, and I have a few friends in that world, did that, I mean, it sounds ridiculous, but was there enough technical qualification under the, the bonnet of that to go away and then design a product? Or did it take a lot more expertise outside of your own mind? Yeah, so I was in my first slash second year of university, so I, was, I wasn't even an optometrist at the time when I had the idea. So it was very much a man on a mission to to find out what I needed to do. And I learned everything from the aspects of what I needed to manufacture from the specification, et cetera, just kind of doing it one domino after the other. And I was, I was quite fortunate because you're, when you're at university, you're in a, a very unique landscape where you have people that can help from different aspects, you know, different industries. You've got people studying computer science, you've got people studying product design, you know, all that. Jazz. So you can really leverage the network at university, which I did. You know, I, I spoke to the faculty and lecturers at university. I said, hey, this is what I want to want to create. Can you give me some insight into the optics behind this material? And, you know, I remember a lecturer, his name's Steve Grappetto, he was my optics lecturer, but we were hanging out in the lab trying to create, you know, a specification for the products we needed. And another example is, you know, utilizing a friend that was doing computer science to set up the first website. And, you know, you kind of just, you just go along and figure things out. And there's not really a, a template on what you should follow. You just, you just work it out in the end. I remember reading about James Dyson and he used to do scribbles. I mean, lots of scribbles. He's got a, fa a famous black notebook, I happen to know, apparently. And lots of these scribbles and all the prototypes that he then did. And he, he did 
I mean, hundreds before the first one actually got patented and then he made it. Was that you as well? Were you scribbling? Was it you showing people and going, look, here's a, here's a line drawing. Does that make sense? <laughs> In one way, yeah. I, I was doing less drawing. I was doing more like pulling apart materials. But for, for me, what I had to figure out was how do I put a type of pigment and a coating into a material. So I was working with numerous plastics and metals and trying and glass, you know, in a liquid form and trying to figure out how I can make them work and how do those materials sit together and sit in a in a form that works with consumers and doesn't affect their health. And in terms of that very first prototype when you go, oh hold on a minute, this might work. Just go back there in your head. What was the feeling like? It was bittersweet. You're kind of like, ah, oh, I've done it. Now what? <laughs> And then, you, then the penny drops is like, right, so it's one thing creating a product, then it's like, all right, so what do I do to get people to, <laughs> to, to, to buy it or want it? And you're like, right, now the, the, the real hard work <laughs> starts. <laughs> I mentioned Dragon's Den when we, when we started, and um, you know, it's one of those programs which brings business to the masses, obviously, and you were in there. You, as I said, got two offers from, I think it was Tej and Peter, Peter Jones, and then you walked away from it. At what point did you decide to walk away from it and why? So we, we went into the den in September 2020. They record it about eight to 12 months before it actually goes live. And um, Peter and Tej, we managed to negotiate them both to invest in the business because they both had their own offers, but we thought we, we want both of them because Tej brings the health credibility peter's a tech titan so yeah you come out of the den you know next week you're getting emails from peter and tedge's representatives and funny enough we didn't we didn't really hear anything for a few weeks and we're like okay this is a bit strange and then peter's team come back and said look we've had a a legal shift around we've we've kind of lost our legal counsel and we don't have the bandwidth to create a shared holders agreement so we said okay so we waited and it got to January. So we finally got a shareholders agreement. We're like, great, let's review this. We, we read it in depth and um, the terms were, let's say, onerous. I think for someone that's starting a business, you want investors that are quite aligned to what you want to do. And there were some really bad terms in there, which, which you know, as someone starting a business and your team as well, doesn't protect you. And I know they wanted to protect themselves with their public figures and rightly so. Anyway, we negotiate for another three months. So it got to six months. So it was March. And we looked at our business and our business had grown five times since we went in the den. And we said, look, guys, we really like you. We really want you to be a part of the journey and the business. But the business has grown, so we can't accept that valuation. And, you know, one Friday night, I sent an email and kind of just said, we need to renegotiate this. And if you can't, then we're going to have to walk away. So, yeah, I sent the email and they said, look, we can't do anything outside of the den because it sets a precedent for everyone else thinking they can do that after the den. So, yeah, I had to uh, make that tough call and part ways. And, um, yeah, then what happened afterwards, I mean, yeah, it was a blessing in disguise, actually, because, um, yeah, we ended up raising a million pounds from private investors and giving away less of the business. Mm. So it was a good turn of events because, yeah, if we took that money from the Dragons... I don't think our private investors would have come on board because of all the clauses and whatever else they have in those agreements. You say it very calmly. I mean, you, you talk to me like a person that's been in business for 20 years. Did that maturity, I mean, did you grow through that process or was this, were you always kind of quite sort of focused without getting emotional? It comes with time. 
you know, the journey of an entrepreneur or businessman or whatever you want to call it, I think no one has has the answers. So the beauty for me is I get to get up every day and learn something new and do something new. And I make mistakes, which is fine, which I've I've kind of come accustomed to and accepted. But I think the Dragon's Den experience was one of those that you look back and you think, right, if I can get in front of five dragons and in the back of my head, this is going to get broadcasted to millions of people. So even if I slip up, if I, if I trip, if the business gets ripped to strips, not only me personally, but the business can be affected, knowing that that might happen and you go in with that and you build that sort of resilience that you're not going to care and you're going to pitch and go in and do it. I think coming away from that and being successful, I think it gives me so much confidence that whatever I do, I can take energy from that and say, you know what? It's not going to be as scary as that because that was pretty scary. <laughs> like I was, I was bricking it and, you know, going in there, I was like, wow, like what? All sorts of anxiety, right? But um, yeah, now, now I've been able to complete that, I can take, take that experience and use it as a positive. Stay with me for much more from my business shape. It's Drew Patel, fabulously articulate about the experience in Dragon's Den and post it. He's the founder of OcuShield. He'll be back in a couple of minutes. Right now, we're going to hear a taste from the Mishcon Innovation Series, which can be found on all the major podcast platforms. Natasha Knight invites business founders to share their industry insights and practical advice for those of you thinking about getting into an industry and starting your very own thing. In this clip, focusing on the health and wellness industries, we hear from Ruby Rout, CEO and co-founder of Wooker, the UK's first eco-friendly period underwear brand. The Mishcon Innovation Series. Insights from founders for your future business. In association with Jazz Shapers, with Mishcon Derea. Start at the small scale, something that I learned, and I think one of the reasons that we became successful was when I launched, I only launched with one product, it is very easy to get overwhelmed with like so many choices and willing to give so many choices to people, but create a product that actually does the job and stick to it for a quite a bit of longer period of time till you get the grasp of all idea of like how to run the business. Because easily you will get like quite a lot of people come in and telling you like, oh, can you do this in like different style, different colors or with any other wellness product as well, I think so. And you will get like overwhelming feedback. But I guess stick to one thing and do best at one thing before you start diverting or trying a few other different things. I guess the other thing I would definitely would say is like, don't get put off by how much it costs to set up a business. There are so many things that you can hustle your way through in the early days. Make a prototype, you know, talk to your friends and families. I think that is the best way to get started. I clearly remember this two-day MBA course that I did in, in London called Lean Startup Machine. The idea was you go pitch your idea and if people love the idea, they will form a group and you create a business there and then. So that's how lean you should be. You should not think that, okay, these are the things that are going to be obstacle in front of me, but like do a small steps at a time and hustle your way through the first stages. And that's exactly how I did it. The Mishcon Innovation Series, in association with Jazz Shapers, with Mishcon Derea. Jazz Shapers on Jazz FM, in partnership with Mishcon Derea. It's business, but it's personal. All our former business shapers are available for your delectation 
on the Jazz Shapers podcast. And you can hear this very program again if you pop Jazz Shapers into your podcast platform of choice. My guest today is Dhruv Patel, optometrist and founder of OcuShield, the medically rated screen protectors that filter out harmful blue light. So you said the business has grown fivefold since that moment in the den. Where are you now and what's driving the success? So OcuShield as a business, you know, starting from my bedroom at university, um, we, we've we've grown a long way. I remember those years where we were doing, I guess, £50,000 of revenue in a year. Now we're doing £2 million, so it's quite a big increase for someone that, you know, when you start this journey, you don't really know where you're going. As I said, I, I didn't create a business plan. <laughs> I kind of rolled with the punches as I went along. Have you got one now? Uh, What's that? A business plan. Now, now I do, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> What's that? It's one of those things. But actually, I mean, joking aside, is it that useful? If you if you it, kind of got clarity on what you want to do, I suppose you've got to have something written down. I think when you when you begin, you can be very messy and you learn you learn as you go along. And it's different for different types of business. If you're bootstrapping a business, you don't need it. If you're raising private investment and capital, you need a plan because you're you're taking other people's money. And you know, that's why we've got a business plan now as well. You know, I think one, it helps when you grow the business, you've got different people in different areas which you need to be able to have a strategy and this is our overarching goals and you know these are the big wins we want and then you have the smaller bits underneath that that help with those bigger wins and sorry so yes what i'm saying now what's driving the success why are you at yes. two million a year yeah right. so in, in terms of the business we have now diversified in what we do so you know our three main sales channels are our website amazon and then retail and b2b and we've very much so focused on being kind of the leading provider when it comes to eyes. Uh, we started in the blue light kind of niche, but now we want to exist. We, we exist to let eyes thrive effectively. And what we're doing now is we're building out products such as an eye mask, eye supplements, and visual screening software to allow people to test their eyes in under seven minutes from their screen. And we want to take on the bigger problems that come with your eyes because, you know, everyone values their eyes, but they don't think about them until they have a problem. Mm. But if you look at research, the one most valued sense we have, if everyone was to answer, they'd, they'd lose their eyesight the last out of anything else. So we want to empower people to be preventative rather than find a cure when they need it. And that's what our mission is going to be moving forward. But what's worked for us is just sticking, sticking to what we know, which is eye care. And I love that because obviously it's a much bigger proposition than selling a shield which protects your eyes. It's now going back up, as you said, to the higher order piece, which is which is eye protection. But that means essentially, Drew, I mean, you've got, there's a panoply of opportunity here across all the different things that you might develop. How does one then decide from a product development perspective what your priorities are? Because you could go, well, it could be this, it could be that. I mean, where does that begin and how do you quantify the opportunities? For us, we, we always ask the customer, you know, we've got customers that are responsive and we say, right, what do you want next? Here are things we think are going to work. Can you resonate? Would you purchase? Would you exchange money for it? And we let that dictate where we want to go for 75% of things we do. The other 25% is we take a bet. Uh, it's like that Henry Ford quote where they say, you know, if you ask people what they wanted, they would say faster horses, not cars. And it's, you kind of take a punt on what you want to create with your knowledge. Because in business, you, you learn things as you go. You pick up on things that customers want. And yeah, one example is like our visual screening software. You know, we, we work with some employers and we've realized that actually in organizations, only 10% of the workforce usually get their eyes tested. And the reason for it is three things. One is they have to book it. Two, they have to spend an hour out of their day to go there and get their eyes tested. And third is patient anxiety. You know, you, know, you might get a weirdo optometrist and you're in a room with them for 30 minutes. So how do we change that so everyone can get access to finding out about their eyes 
And we're saying, well, our customers don't really care about that because they're, it's not a consumer product. It comes from you know, organizations, employees, DSC, whatever else. But it's more of a B2B play where we've worked with one or two of our employees and said, hey, would you, would you like this? And then we kind of build it and then see what happens. Now that you have external investors, now that you are growing, does the sense of responsibility change? Or is it still all about how Druve reports to Druve every day? Yeah, totally. I mean, um, now I've got more things to worry about, you know, not just myself. You've got the team, but you've also got, you've taken these investors' money. You check in with them quite regularly. You want to report good things, right? You don't yeah. want to report, oh, this hasn't gone too well. You you have a, in a you know, need for yourself to, to want to bring positive news. So, yeah, you know, you want to look after them and allow them to tell their networks and their friends that, hey, I've invested in this awesome business and it's doing fantastically well so yeah that's always on the back of my mind you know it's how can i deliver for the business as well as investors now because they are extension of the business you know Mm. they are part of the brand so yeah i feel like i have a duty of care to deliver for them and that duty of care that responsibility and you were talking before about you had this thing that you wanted to fix where does your family fit into all this because i know mum and dad came from india and so you're a first first generation indian Mm -hmm. Uh, British Indian, obviously. Where does all that connect up, if it does at all? Has it influenced who you are as a as a person, as a business person? Yeah, totally. I mean, the, the reason why I have always wanted to get into business is, you know, my parents, working class, you know, my mum worked at Tesco, dad at Allied Carpets, and I saw when we were growing up, I don't know if it was Brazil or Gujarati, but all they did was work and then take us to a Butlins or a Pontins or, a, you know, abroad every other year. And I was like, you know, I want to be able to provide back to them to allow them to do new experiences because they, all they did was focus on me and my brother. And, um, you know, they pushed us into, uh, you know, professions like healthcare, for example. You know, it's, the, it's a typical brown parent <laughs> Good thing. Indian it's boy. like, yeah. yeah, do any healthcare, legal, anything, you know, anything that's safe. Right? Profession. Yeah, yeah. Profession, exactly. very important. Um, and, you know, for me, I, I loved uh, biology and, and product design and, and business and optometry was one of those where you could expand, you know, as an optometrist, you can open up a optician store, etc. So I've always had that kind of want to do something in business. And yeah, I think the, you know, stars aligned with, with, with Vokishield and I, I kind of embarked on the journey to say, right, can I create something bigger than me? Can I serve others? Because when I test eyes, I only test 10 or 20 patients a day. But with this business, I can protect so many eyes, you know, hundreds a day, which has a greater impact. And then how can I uh, help my parents in, in, you know, doing that? And one thing I picked up from them was uh, being frugal really helps in business as well. I think uh, mm-hmm. even with taking investors' money, I appreciate it so much. I don't, I'm not there spending like, woohoo, we've got lots of money. You know, let's, we've got really, you know, sense check how we're spending that, those funds. And how did the family feel about Drew Patel and Lockyer Shield? I think now after they saw me on Dragon's Den, they're like, okay, he knows what he's doing now, I think. <laughs> They they pretty much didn't get it. I mean, they're like, "What's this business? What are you doing? Like blue light? Okay, we don't. You know, it kind of goes over their head." Uh, <laughs> so I think it's funny when they speak to their friends. I think initially they were just saying I was doing something in marketing or something, <laughs> you know. <laughs> but now I think that they've grasped. I've kind of 
honed it in on them to say, right, this is what the business is about, mm. you know, explained it a little bit more. Um, yeah. And do you find that, despite obviously they, their, their business work backgrounds were very different to yours, mm. do you ask them questions? I mean, are they people that you would go to and say, what about, what about? Or is it too much, is it too removed? Yeah, too removed, unfortunately, you know, for, for bless them there. <laughs> they like to watch Bollywood movies and uh, eat good food and, you know, do nice things. But yeah, when I, when I discuss anything business related to them, it's a, it's a bit like speaking to your friends as well. You know, you can't, there's, I think with business challenges and growing businesses, I think only, the only people that can generally relate to those is people that have started businesses. And is that where you go, Drew, when you want a bit of advice or, or, or a sounding board? Yeah, exactly. You know, initially you, you might speak to your friends, but there's not much they can say, you know, if you've, uh, you know, feedback wise, you know, I always say go to people that are six to 12 months ahead of you, if, let's say in business, because they're going to give you the actionable advice. You know, there's, it'll be great to have Richard Branson as a mentor, but actually he's so far away from you. You know, he's dealing with space. He's not going to be able to help with how do we sell into a retailer or something. I mean, he'll give some advice, but you need to have someone that's done it recently in and now to give you that best actionable advice. Final chat coming up with my guest today. That's Dhruv Patel. And there's a classic from Kurt Elling. That's in just a minute. Please don't go anywhere. Jazz Shapers on Jazz FM. In partnership with Mishkondorea. It's business, but it's personal. Dhruv Patel is my business shaper just for a few more minutes. We've been talking about all sorts of things on this journey that you are on seven years in now, I guess, since you founded the business. We're in difficult market conditions. Yeah, um, Investors are going to be watching every pound that they invest. There's inflation, there's pressures on everybody, pressures on cost and therefore on margin and so on and so forth. Talk to me about how you view the next few years and how, thinking about how you survive the next few years, what happens at the end of that piece that will enable you to then really ramp up this business and get to like 100 million pounds of sales? Because I'm sure that's where you want to go, but there are two bits to it, aren't there? And tell me a little bit about how your mind's working, how you're thinking about approaching those two slightly different phases of your growth. Yeah, forward. So- OkuShield's been a digital-first business, and what I mean by that is we've focused on acquiring customers online. Since the iOS 14 changes last summer, it's been incredibly difficult to target and acquire customers at the same cost it was previously. And then this year, from January 2022, what happened is all the retailers that were offline have now got their online operations ready, so they're now spending more online. So what we're seeing is the cost to advertise online has become massively inflated so for brands like us where we could acquire a customer for let's say 15 pounds is now 30 or 40 so double so you can't really keep doing that because it's not sustainable we've always been a business where we've been profitable and want it to be that way we don't want to just burn cash to get vanity metrics and revenue that's not been our business model so what we're doing now is saying well hey we've got a diversified business 40 percent is on amazon that's actually working really well for us how do we go deeper on that channel. And then secondly is um, retailers and employers. So we just launched in John Lewis recently, in stores and online, and we're working with a few others in the pipeline as well as employers. And we're saying actually, well, this activity in this segment, we can also work on and build the business in this channel. So it's kind of being able to turn off some sales channels and then Mm. push the others to build the brand in this, you know, I guess, year or so of uncertainty with the recession looming. And then afterwards, you you have a business that is still, you know, one of the main goals 
post recession is to be alive as a business, right? Because a lot of businesses will, in our industry, in online, will go under because of the cost of acquisition. So one is to stay alive, and the second is to be able to build that brand equity. So when the markets do change into a bull market, as I like to call it, you're ready to say, right, these are our learnings, these are our new products, these are our customers who we can sell all our new products to and start going aggressive again. Are you um, uh, by nature a scrapper? I mean, it sounds like you're up. You haven't described this in negative terms, but there's stuff to do, right? This is a, this is choppy. Are you quite enjoying these challenges secretly, Drew? Would you prefer that to it being plain sailing and the graph goes from bottom left to top right in terms of growth? Well, it's really interesting because I, I, I was enjoying that, and then the graph starts flatlining. You're saying, "What's happening here?" And actually, it's you know, I, I said this to the team. I said you know what, in these moments, you actually find out so much more about what's working, what's not, because when things are all going well, you, you, you kind of know what's going on, but you don't actually. And then when things, when, when you've got to put some work in and things aren't working out for you as they were before, you, you really crystallize what, what activities we're doing are causing the certain result or reward. So for us as a team, it's been really beneficial to say, right, let's hone in on what is the focus areas. And that's a blessing sometimes. And I think we spoke on it off off air, but, you know, in these times, it's, it's much better to be able to hone in and focus on these, these elements than just doing lots of activity and hoping mm. for the best. And emotionally, is that a cool place for you to be? It doesn't, it doesn't stress you out immeasurably that you have to be like this. Yeah, I mean... Honesty time, Drew. <laughs> I mean, there's, there's been time. I mean, businesses are very stressful you know, I guess, occupation, but it's, it's privileged, right? You know, there's, I, I'm privileged to be a business owner, right? It's, you know, there's, there's a lot more worse things that I could be doing. But I think from my perspective, because I've been in it for five to seven years now, I've bootstrapped the business to our first £100,000 in revenue and then started taking capital from outside. I've, I've created my life so that, you know what, if things didn't work out, I can go and test eyes. You know, I, I have that safety blanket. Again, I'm privileged, right? So in the back of my head, I'm saying, I can go all out, I can take these risks, and I can keep learning. But end of the day, if it doesn't work out, I will go and test eyes, and I have that safety net. I have a family, I have a home to go to. And that's the approach I take, you know. I, you know and that, that, that means I can sleep well at night. You know, I don't, mm. I don't stay up at night. And I think there's a famous saying, you know, if you can get to sleep fast enough, you have no problems. Your, your life is good. <laughs> it's a kind of chalta hay attitude, which is, a, I think, Hindi for like, it's, it is what it is, right? Yeah, you, yeah, you seem very relaxed. Yeah. Great to chat to you. I've really enjoyed it today. And I hope you have too. But you don't have to say you have if you haven't, of course. <laughs> uh, just before I let you go, what's your song choice and why have you chosen it? My song choice is Lichbodge. Well, that's the artist. And it's, the song is called Feel Free. When you listen to this, you get a element of freedom. Effectively, you know, you're, you're you get transported to an area of you know nature. That's what comes to mind when I listen to this. And um, I very much listen to my jazz when I'm working. It keeps me grounded. It keeps me focused. But yeah, that's my song of choice. That was Lichtbodge. I hope I pronounced that properly. With feel free, the song choice of my business shaper today, Dhruv Patel. Honestly, he said, no one has the answers. That's the joy of being an entrepreneur. And he said also, I make mistakes. He also talked about the lack of a business plan. He said it can be messy at the beginning and actually as you go along. He talked about the importance for him of being frugal and how that's critical to ensuring things don't get out of control, specifically costs. And finally, that lovely point about his own background, his own family, and that sense that he has of a duty of care to his business and to the people that work for him and indeed 
to his consumers. All great stuff. That's it from me and Jazz Shapers. Have a lovely weekend. Jazz Shapers on Jazz FM. In partnership with Mishkondorea. It's business, but it's personal. We hope you enjoy that edition of Jazz Shapers. You'll find hundreds more guests available for you to listen to in our archive. To find out more, just search Jazz Shapers in iTunes or your favourite podcast platform or head over to mishcon.com forward slash jazz shapers.